Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the GM Shuffle. Nobody compares to Lawrence Taylor. Let's just put that out there. Like, nobody. Mm-hmm. Nobody. But Parsons has similar traits to what he does and what he can offer. And the scheme-wise is completely attuned to what his talent level is. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Michael, believe it or not, one week from today, we will have a training camp underway as the offseason is coming to an end. No doubt. I mean, we're getting there. I mean, my oldest son just went back. He's got, you know, they got the Hall of Fame game, the Raiders. So his vacation's over. (laughs) And as we get this last week, I mean, this is it. And then we'll start ramping up the camps. We'll start listening to all the glorious, wonderful things that emanate from these training camps. And we'll actually start to see what has been talked about on the field. Yeah, my vacation is over as well. It was nice to get away for a week, coming back refreshed, recuperated, ready to go for the stretch run here. And as always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. You can tweet at us at Michaels, at M Lombardi NFL. You can tweet at me, at Femi Abebefe, our producer Stephen Bond with us as always on the ones and twos. And let's get into this thing here, Michael. Uh, yeah. Before training camp, we hear a lot of guys start to talk, and we've discussed this on the podcast before, but... Newly acquired Dolphins wide receiver Tyreek Hill. He has his own podcast there. And on his podcast, he was talking about this year's Dolphins team compared to the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs that ended up winning the Super Bowl. Hill's quote was this. I see the exact same team. Now, for Hill's credit, he was talking about the skill position guys. And I see you laughing already. So this should be good. He was talking about the skill position guys, not the entire team. But the fact that Hill said this, what do you make of those comments? And do you think that Hill might be on to something? Well, look, I think they do have some really good skill players. I mean, Gasecki's a really good receiving tight end. He can get open. He's wins against man coverage. Waddle is a good receiver. We know Tyree Kill's guy. You got to double every time. I thought Cedric Wilson with the Col- with the Cowboys last year was really good. So I'm not disputing that. I think their offensive line is not nearly as good as they're going to need to be. And then all questions for Tua. I mean, it's how many times can you keep asking yourself this, Tua? Look, it's Tua's time. Either he can play or he can't. You know, I mean, I, I've read the where, you know, his arm strength isn't an issue. I see it as an issue. What I really see as an issue, Femi, is his ability to play in bad weather. I mean, go back and watch the Tennessee tape when it started to rain in that game. Just watch it objectively and tell me he was the same player that he was before it rained. It, it wasn't true. So, yeah, I, I think there is a lot of optimism. Are they going to be as good on defense? That I don't know. Because Josh Boyer is going to want to blitz a lot more. I think Brian Flores, their former head coach, was there to secure a little bit of balance with their defense. And then where's Mike McDaniel? You know, Mike McDaniel gets this job because he's a running game guy. You know, he's a running game play action pass guy. What are they going to do offensively? Are they going to run it more than they throw it like Kyle does out in San Francisco? We shall see. But look. We have a lot of competition on the podcast. I mean, a lot of players are into it. It, it, There's no doubt, right? There's a lot of conversations going on. I mean, I listen to three minutes of Jamarcus Russell try to make an excuse for where he is in life. You know, like seriously, have some accountability, big fella. Like, come on. (laughs) 
Come on, I had to turn it off. I'm like, look, I'm not sitting here listening to this dude pontificate about why he had the greatest opportunity and he failed to do anything about it. You know, now for the record, Femi, I want to be on record. Yes, I did not draft him. I wasn't in the room. There we go. I know everybody wants to blame me for it, but that's the fact. <laughs> there we go. And I was going to say, if you didn't bring it up, I was going to bring it up just to keep things clear. Michael not responsible for Jamarcus Russell going number one overall way back in the day. But you mentioned all these players that have their podcasts are talking, and these things kind of quiet down a little bit once the season gets going underway. So I can't blame these guys. They're trying to stay busy during no. the off season. But it's interesting because. My background, you know, I'm a, I'm a better here coming from VEASAN, and I, I always think about, all right, is this person crazy or are they on to something? And I wanted to almost look at this from a positive standpoint because Hill, he's been, he's been getting crushed on social media because everyone's making fun of him saying, oh, there's no way this team is like the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs. You got two at quarterback. He's nothing compared to Mahomes. There's just, you're, you're insane. But there could also be the chance that he could be right. And the one thing that I'll, I'll never forget uh, it was back in 2007. I don't know if you remember this one, Michael. Uh, Brett Favre, before the 2007 season, said that the 07 Packers were the most talented team he'd ever played on. He was saying this after OTAs, minicamps, heading into training camp, and people were like, what is he talking about? He won a Super Bowl with the 96 Packers. They went to another one in 1997. And it was a bold statement because the previous two years, the Packers were 8-8 eight and eight and 4-12. and 12. So you hear him saying this is the most talented team ever. Everyone thought he was nuts. The Packers end up going 13-3 and that season. Now, they don't win the Super Bowl. They end up losing in the NFC Championship game, partly due to Brett Favre's interception in overtime there against the New York Giants. But clearly, he felt really good about that team. Where Hill, he's seen these guys more than we've seen them. He's been through OTAs. He's been through minicamp that I know it's easy to laugh at him. And I laughed when I initially saw it as well. But then part of me also was like, hey, maybe he could be on to something here because he's played on a championship team and he knows what it's supposed to look like. Well, you know, I, I think he has, but I think you've got to also understand you've got to break it down a little bit too and you've got to peel it back. Is Mike McDaniels, Andy Reid in creativity? I don't know. I don't know. We've got to see that, you know? I, I don't know. And, and anybody who thinks that Tua and Mahomes are on the same platform. Yeah, no, I mean, you not. don't need, you know, that's not, that's not, not even close, right? I mean, Mahomes can throw the ball in either direction uh, across his body and do what he has to do. Uh, I think it's going to require, I, I, look, I, do I think Miami can make the playoffs? I, I don't doubt that they have enough talent to do that. I worry about their offensive line tremendously. And I worry about them if they get injuries. And I worry about Tua being able to execute a true passing game when it becomes a drop back game. I mean, look, mm. let, let's be honest here. I mean, the guy doesn't throw the ball down the field for a reason because he can't. You know, 6.8 yards per attempt ain't going to cut it. You know, not when Joe Bur not when Joe Burrow's averaging 8-9 and he's getting the crap beat out of him, right? You know, and yeah. so the other thing about Tua to me is we it, athletically, he and Mahomes aren't even in the same category. Mahomes can escape pressure. Tua can't. Is this a thing with Tua, because the offensive line has been bad over the last couple of years, maybe we can get more out of him with this improved offensive line, or at least on paper, it's improved with the signings of Teron Armstead at left tackle. Connor Williams, who was a guard in Dallas, sounds like they're going to try him out at center. Uh, yeah. I know the Cowboys cross-trained him a little bit at center at times. Didn't go as well as mainly a thing for just in case in an emergency situation, but the Dolphins clearly think that he can play the position. Well, I, I think the one thing I give Chris Greer credit for is he's put resources into the offensive line. Now, he's got a first-round pick in Austin Jackson at right tackle. He's got a second-round pick in Robert Hunt at right guard. He's paid for Connor Williams, although Connor Williams got destroyed in that playoff game yeah. against the 49ers. Destroyed. I mean, he was like, that was like, if that's the level you're getting out of him, it's problematic. And then, you know, Eckenberg is a second-round pick in 21, and Armstead they paid for. Now, Armstead's a good player. Can he stay healthy? I don't think so. He never stayed healthy for New Orleans, which was a huge problem, and he's over 30 years old. When you get older, you don't get healthier. You get, you, you get hurt more. Then there's no depth behind that line. There's no depth behind that line. So, look, on paper, everything we're, we're talking about right now, I just wrote a column about the Bengals. And, you know, on paper, they look like the better team. Are they going to be the better team? You know, paper doesn't matter. It's how you play and how you execute. And we're going to listen to all this conversation about how good Miami is and where we go. But it's all going to come right back to the quarterback, too. It's going to come back to whether he can do it or not, Femi.
Yeah, no, the quarterback and then injuries as well. You mentioned everything on paper in July looks really good because you've made your draft picks, you made your free agent acquisitions, but we know the injury bug hits teams in the NFL and that depth oftentimes gets tested and that's where the Dolphins probably have a weakness, especially on that offensive line. But a lot of teams have weaknesses on that offensive line. The Bengals were that team last year. They were able to overcome that, having the struggles on the O-line, still made it to the Super Bowl, were within a quarter away of winning a Super Bowl against the LA Rams there. It's going to be interesting to see what this Bengals uh, second act looks like because they surprised some people a year ago going all the way to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow looks like he is going to be one of the elite quarterbacks in the game here who was drafted to be that, and he's lived up to the hype thus far here. And all the talent that the Bengals have, what do you expect from them here in 2022? You know, what I wrote about it is it's almost, they were so serendipitous as a team. And are they lucky or are they good? You know, after week after week uh, 15, when they played Denver, or starting with the Denver game, they didn't turn the ball over but two times all the way through. The next eight games, they only had two turnovers. That's pretty mm-hmm. remarkable for a quarterback that's getting the crap beat out of him, right? He was over. I mean, he got sacked almost every almost 10% of the throw every time he went back to pass. So you've got that. The field goal kicker, we've talked about it. McPherson, he attempts 33 field goals during the regular season, basically two a game. The only game he doesn't make a field goal is the Packer game that they lose. But he gets into the playoffs, he makes 14 in a row. He kicks 14 in a row. So you've got this incredibly hot field goal kicker. You've got a defense that in the last last eight games of the season – basically created turnovers and didn't give the ball back. Just in the playoffs alone, they commit they, they were plus seven in turnover takeaway. Plus seven. You know? I mean, the game they lost, the game they lost, they were plus two in turnover takeaway against the Rams, and they lost the game. So on paper, it looks good. Now, you got to ask yourself, can, can this serendipitous way keep going with them? You know, let's go back to the first Kansas City game. There's a false start in that game that doesn't get called, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they win that game. They're able to do that. You know, the Tennessee game, I mean, Tannehill just has a complete, complete meltdown, you know, in that game. Tennessee should win. The Raiders have the ball first and goal with the nine and can't tie the game up. The Chiefs have a 21 to 10 lead at halftime and lose the game. I mean, I just think to me, and then when you examine it, take a step back, Femi, and you look at Dan Marino, who in 1984 walks off the field at Stanford Stadium and thinks his future is incredibly bright. In fact, it's so bright that Coke decides to do an advertisement with him in Montana saying at the end of the commercial, Marino says, next time it's my time. Well, there never was a <laughs> yeah, next there time. there never was. <laughs> right? So it's hard to get back. And I just think to me, the Bengals, I don't know if, it, if they were just good or lucky. Now, in fairness, right, when they got the bye week, after the bye week in week 10, they played, every team they played up into the Super Bowl was almost playoff caliber. The only two teams that did make the playoffs were Cleveland and Baltimore. You know, now, excuse me, Cleveland, Baltimore, and Denver. So give them credit for team. You know, they beat good teams down the stretch. I mean, mm-hmm. they really did. I mean, they were able to do it. The Chargers wasn't a, the Chargers could have been a playoff team. Pittsburgh was. You got to give them credit for that. I, I just don't know if they're lucky or if they're really good. Yeah, the 49er game could have gone either way as well in overtime. Oh, the Charger one. game. Yeah. I mean, the Charger game at 41-22 to 22 looks like it's a blowout. It but was close. If yeah. they don't fumble that ball twice, they fumbled twice in that game, you know, and, and the, they had four turnovers in that game. One of them, they got, the Chargers picked up and scored. The Chargers were getting ready to lose that game. Yeah, no, that division is going to be really fun to, to break down as we get closer to the season because you have Cleveland, we have all the uncertainty that's hanging over them. We'll probably get a conclusion on that soon. Baltimore looks like they're poised for a bounce back after suffering all the injuries last year. And then there's Cincinnati sitting there. You put the, you termed it serendipitous. Some people might call it lucky, um, but some people might say that Joe Burrow just has that it factor, almost reminiscent of the guy we saw for two decades up in New England. Um, it, but to me, it's, it's somewhere in between. It's probably where the truth lies. But whenever you have a guy like Joe, Joe Burrow, uh, I think you have a chance. But the coach at Zach Taylor, from my opinion, I, I still have question marks about him, especially what we saw in that final drive in the Super Bowl. Like you always mentioned, Joe Mixon being off the field, Samaj P. Ryan being on the field. I still can't get over that on that final drive, which ended up leading to the sequence. Aaron Donald getting the pressure on Burrow, and then the rest is history there with the Rams being Super Bowl champions. The team, though, Michael, that the Bengals beat in the AFC Championship game, the Kansas City Chiefs, 
They're going through a little bit of a contract dispute of their own. Orlando Brown, their offensive tackle, currently at an impasse over contract negotiations with the Kansas City Chiefs. Brown could reportedly skip training camp if he doesn't get a long-term extension. Right now, he's under the franchise tag. The deadline to sign franchise tag players to a long-term extension is tomorrow afternoon, Friday afternoon, 4 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, Do you think something gets done with Brown at the deadline or could this spill into training camp and maybe even early on in the regular season? Well, look, we know this. The way the collective bargaining agreement's been set up, it favors the clubs. There's no holdouts. Back in the day, you know, just talking about Marino after the Super Bowl, he held out, right? I mean, there was holdouts constantly in the NFL. This collective bargaining agreement really cuts down on the holdouts. I would be shocked if Orlando Brown held out from game checks. You know, will he held out from training camp? Yeah, he's got every right because he didn't sign the tender. Mm-hmm. But do I, I think they get a long-term deal done? I mean, one of the reasons they traded Hill was to get long-term deal done with some of their younger players. We shall see. You know, do I think Orlando Brown's a legitimate, bona fide left tackle? I would say no, uh, only because I feel like, you know, in this scheme, the way they are and the way Mahomes moves, he can get away with some of the things if he were somewhere else. But give the kid credit. He's done a great job for being as slow-footed as he was at the combine. Oh, my goodness, uh, yeah. I would be really concerned to give him a long-term contract. I really would. I would rather pay him on a one-year rental deal and try to draft somebody the next year than do that. Given the assets that they gave up for Orlando Brown, do you think that Brown and his agents have a little bit of leverage knowing that the Chiefs gave up those premium assets to get him. Well, I think I, I think they probably feel like that, but the reality of it is is when you sit there and start talking about tackles, you know, it, it really comes down to where do you fit, where do you rank the player, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do how do these contracts when you're the problem with tagging a guy the franchise is he just basically says, Hey, look, I'm just gonna keep playing you gotta pay me three years of franchise value, right? Yep. When in reality, that's not really what happens, you know? And so Trent Williams just got a huge deal, you know, recently. You know, Bakari's got a huge deal. Tunsil got that huge $66 million deal. Ronnie Stanley just got the deal that was supposed to have averaged about 19 a year. So to me, I got to believe that if they're going to, you know, you're going to pay Orlando Brown somewhere around that $19 million. Right now he's on a cap at 166 so, and, and you know, he's 26 years old. He's still one of the youngest left tackles in football. Mm-hmm. So you got to feel like they got something in store. I mean, at 19 million, you got to feel like that's probably a good deal. He's probably wants to get closer to Tunsil at 22, 23, 24. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that's what his agent is striving for to get to that number there. Top of the market money is what a lot of these guys think that they should get. Um, it's going to be interesting because the Chiefs giving up those assets, trying to improve that offensive line a year ago, they did do that. Would they let this thing spill into the regular season? Because like we mentioned there, he has not signed the franchise tag tender there. So he will not be fined if he misses training camp because he's technically not even on the roster right now. So Brown, a little bit of leverage and it's a little bit of a cat and mouse thing right now, but I'm sure they'll come to some sort of resolution and this thing could be moot by the time we get to the deadline, which is tomorrow afternoon, Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Dalton Schultz of the Cowboys, Mike Gesicki of the Dolphins, and Jesse Bates of the Bengals, the other three players who have yet to sign long-term extensions who are currently under the tag. All right, Michael, let's take our first break. On the other side, we're going to get back to red chips, blue chips, talking all things off-ball linebackers in the NFL. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 
168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, let's get into it. Our blue chips and red chip series continues on now with the linebackers. We're now into the front seven. You and Ben Wilson did the cornerbacks last week. Ben did a terrific job, and you guys did that, breaking that down. But now the linebacker position, it's interesting because we have so many different schemes in the NFL, and the novice fan might group all linebackers into the same pile, but there's off-ball linebackers, there's on-ball linebackers. Can you explain to the fan who might not know what an off-ball linebacker is? Well, what you have to try to do here is, first of all, you start with the premise of if the guy is an elite player, there is no formation that takes him off the field, okay? So that's the way it starts. We used to have this conversation about, well, you know, on third down, he doesn't play. No, no, no. Downs are meaningless now. Is what formation can I get into that the player is not a part of? And it really applies to the linebacker position, right? It really applies there because – there are certain guys that you don't want on the field if it's going to be in the nickel front. Now, what's happened is, is we've had this hybrid. So a guy like Matthew Judon, you know, who's really, you know, a, a, an outside linebacker in a 34, but he rarely drops. He does occasionally, but it's not. He's a force player. TJ Watt mm-hmm. is listed as a linebacker, but he's coming 90% of the time, yeah. right? So he's an on-the-line linebacker which he's no different than Troy Hendrickson at Cincinnati, who is a defensive end, right? Mm-hmm. Where, But they're way different than Fred Warner, who's off the ball, right? So you've got to kind of like, instead of making it too complicated, we're just going to throw all the on-the-line, whether you call them linebackers, hybrid ends, defensive ends, whatever you want to call them, they're in one category. And then all these guys that play off the ball, that play Mike, or they play Will, or they play Nickel, you know, then you've got to evaluate them. C.J. Mosley is an off-the-ball linebacker, right? Yep. You know, you've got to see him. And so Warner, all those guys. Now that's how you – because typically they're involved in some form of coverage. And you say, well, what about the Mike and the Will? Well, oftentimes in a run game, when Brady comes out to the line of scrimmage, let's say, and he starts to say, you know – uh, 54 Martinez, he's the will. Well, he might be lined up as the Mike, but in the blocking scheme, in the run game, they want to block him like the will. Okay? So yeah. Will and Mike's now have become almost interchangeable because of the way the offense wants to block it in the run game. So it's very complex. And I think the only way to really do this the correct way is to just separate it. Say, okay, you play off the ball, you know, you're basically a, a linebacker. And Makai Parsons is kind of the guy that, that can do everything. He can line up at end, and he can line up off the ball. You know, is Vaughn Miller an off-the-ball linebacker? No, not at all. He wants to come forward. DJ wants to come forward. So you can't put, you can't put those guys in the same category. Yeah, I think that's a great explanation of it. And we'll get into Micah Parsons in the Blue Chips segment there. Spoiler alert, uh, Parsons, after the terrific All-Pro season he had as a rookie. But how much, in your opinion, before we get into these Red Chip guys, how much do you think the position has changed over the last 15 years or so? Because these off-ball linebackers, it felt like when I was growing up watching football, they were bulkier, they were thumpers, guys defending the run. And now these are almost converted big safeties who are now converted yeah. into off-ball linebackers. Well, because nobody takes anybody on. Like, Buckus used to play downhill. The great Matt Millen used to play downhill. He would two-gap the tackle. You know, mm-hmm. Harry Carson would, you know, the, the guard would come out to him, and he had both the A and the B gap. So he had to two-gap him. He had to butt him, shed him, and then get make the play. That's over with. You know, everybody's flying to the football. If you go back and watch the Super Bowl, the way that the Bengals' defense set it up is they set it up so that Logan Wilson or any other linebackers could just run to the football, and the end would set the edge. So it's a little bit, you don't have to shed. It really becomes playing linebacker today in the National Football League. It's like covering a punt. It's like covering a punt. You don't have to really read it. You just have to run to it. You know, flow this way. I'm flying. You know, do I have the C gap? I got the C gap. I'm flying to the C gap. Or I got the B gap. I'm flying to the B gap. I'm not worried. I don't want to get blocked. You know, what made Buckus so great, when you watch tape on Dick Buckus, was Dick Buckus was a ballerina. He, he really, he didn't want to two-gap people as big as he was. He could run to the ball. He was a ballerina until he got to the ball, and then he became a bulldozer. 
<laughs> and that's kind of what the game is today. Yeah. And like Buckus would be like, oh, would be like Makai Parsons. You would just bring him downhill. Nitschke from the Packers, he would be like that because Nitschke at 6'3", 260, Nitschke could run. You know, he could really run. Now, he's not going to cover Kamara in a one-on-one matchup. We know that, right? Mm-hmm. Kamara will kill him. But there's ways to utilize that skill set without him being in coverage as the fifth guy or the fourth rusher. Yeah, it's really evolved as the game has evolved to more of a passing kind of game. Coverage now being an emphasis for these guys. Let's get into this red chips list. Here are the five red chip off ball linebackers here for our GM shuffle blue chips, red chip series. The red chip guys, Eric Kendricks of the Minnesota Vikings, Roquan Smith of the Chicago Bears, David Long Jr. of the Tennessee Titans, Darius Leonard of the Indianapolis Colts, and Foye Aluakon of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Michael, when I was doing some preparation for this podcast, what stood out to me is that a lot of these guys going into their fifth year here, that 2018 linebacker class, it shows up quite heavily in this series. Yeah, and it does because I think a lot of it is when you look at it and you break it down, these guys make a lot of tackles. I mean, they make a lot of tackles. Ola Kuhn from Atlanta. I mean, he got he got he got paid a ton there, and I mean, he had over a hundred ta- solo tackles last year. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's flying to the football and he's making plays. And when you do that at the linebacker position, and you have free access to get there, all of a sudden it's really a, it, it's pretty impressive. So you know. I just think, to me, when you look at these guys, Kendricks is a will linebacker, a Mike. He can move anywhere within it, and he's so good at finding the football, you know, that he just explodes to it. So, for me, I, I think a lot of it is, and then when you get to the junction point, you got to be able to tackle, right? you got to be able to tackle, and you got to be able to get the guy on the ground, and these guys do. Would you say in coverage, you know, I, I think ultimately in coverage, you don't want a lot of these guys, you know, like David Long, I think when Tennessee lost him for a period of time, yeah. he's an undersized guy. I thought it hurt their defense. I thought he was outstanding. David Long, to me, just he's a, he's a little guy, but he tackles really well and he can fly to the football. Darius Leonard is kind of an enigma because he guesses quite a bit, but he seems to guess right and he creates turnovers. You know, and he's and the way the scheme's set up, he could just run to the football. You know, Roquan Smith, the same thing. Now I think Roquan's lost a step from a year ago. But I still think he's an effective player. Yeah, of these guys, you're Roquan Smith, the only first-round pick. He was a former first-round pick in 2018. But I want to ask you about Darius Leonard of the Colts because a lot of people might say he's a multiple-time All-Pro. How is he not on the blue chips list? He has a lot of popularity. I'm not sure if it was the in-season hard knocks series they did on the Colts. That's added to the, the whole maniac nickname that he has here. But what was the difference between for you of putting Leonard on the red chips list and not on the blue chips list? I think there's sometimes where Leonard, you know, when when he's not, when he doesn't have the free access or he guesses, you know, I mean, last year, you know, his tackles were down the, from what they typically were. Now he makes a lot of plays on the football, and I'm not demeaning that, but I, I think ultimately, I think there's times he could play at a higher level. Now he was hurt a lot last year, and I think that really affected him. You know, I think that really affected him. When you look at his numbers, they weren't quite as good as they were. Do I think he could turn it around? You know, probably he should. You know, he probably should be able to turn it around. But I think ultimately, you know, it was just one of those years. I, I thought, you know, Kendricks, I thought that Kendricks was good last year. I thought, I, th- I certainly thought that, uh, you know, uh, uh, my man, uh, Warner, well, Warner to me is in yeah. a different category. But but to me, it was Rokon, it was it was Kendricks. All those guys kind of fit in the same category along with the kid from Atlanta, Olakun, I thought he was outstanding. As a general manager, would you, from an off-ball linebacker's perspective, would you value coverage more than the run stopping, or is it something that you just, clearly you want both, but if you only have one, would it be the coverage to stop these passing attacks, or would it be somebody that can fill the gaps on those early downs? I I think it's got to be speed, and you've got to have a good tackler, a guy who can cover punts, and I think ultimately you've got to have the ability to be in space and make plays on the football. Look, I, I, I really believe this. And I think one of the things that makes New England struggle is when your mic's slow or your linebackers are slow, your defense looks slow. It's mm-hmm. to me a code that I truly believe in. And if your mic's slow, your defense is slow. And so Hendricks, Kendricks makes their defense faster. You know, Warner makes their defense faster. Roquan Smith, when he's really going, makes their defense faster. I mean, we saw it with Devontae Campbell last year. He makes their defense faster. When you're slow and you're not able to get to the football, that's a real issue. 
there was a handful of guys who didn't quite make the cut here. Miles Jack of now the Pittsburgh Steelers, Jordan Brooks out in the Seattle Seahawks, CJ Mosley, uh, you have Kazir White, Al Shahir, Aziz Al Shahir, I should say, for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, why were these guys left off of the list for you? Well, I, I think like Brooks led the National Football League in tackles last year. Nobody kind of knows that. I thought Miles Jack is really a good player. I don't know if he's the same guy he once was when he had his knee injury. But I think he's a. I think he'll play really good for P- Pittsburgh this year. I think that's mm-hmm. a huge addition. You know, they basically traded Jack. They cut Jack to sign. Uh, 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 I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Aluakon. Aluakon. So uh, you know, they they traded him in. C.J. Mosley to me is exactly what you have to do if you want to run the scheme that Salai runs. You need a really mm-hmm. good Mike linebacker. And you need four down linemen. And this is what Mosley is. He wasn't quite as good. The white kid. For, for the Chargers last year is kind of a nickel linebacker around the ball quite a bit. I think he'll help the Eagles. They've invested in him. He made a ton of tackles for them. And I thought Al Sharir was outstanding for San Francisco. Again, these are undersized guys that fly to the football. Brooks was barely six feet tall, but he makes so many tackles. It's really unbelievable. I mean, Jordan Brooks had 184 tackles. He was a part of 184 tackles last year. Yeah, I mean, think about that, Fem. No, Brooks, and there was a lot of questions about him in coverage coming out of Texas Tech, but his run hit factor, as Dan Quinn always likes to say there, those Seattle guys really emphasize run hit factor. He, he has it quite a bit there. Uh, a guy that didn't make your red chips list, wasn't on the close list, wasn't even on the blue chips list. I'm a Seattle guy, covered him when I was there. Bobby Wagner entering his yeah. age 32 season, six-time first-team All-Pro, was named second-team All-Pro last year, now with the L.A. Rams, what do you think is left in the tank here for Wagner as he enters his 11th year? I mean, I think he's still a smart, instinctive player. Do I think he runs as well as he once did? No, I don't. You know, look, he made a ton of tackles last year as well. You know, he was in on 170 combined tackles. So he did. You know, he had three tackles for losses. I mean, I think he's just on the bottom edge and, and kind of just a slip down. Mm-hmm. When you look at him, he was seventh in the National Football League in combined tackles. You know, and Brooks was one. So it tells you that they're making a lot. Their linebackers are making way too many tackles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like Kaiser White for the Chargers, you know, he made 144 tackles. I mean, he was active around the ball, had two interceptions. You know, he, he was really a good player when he needed to. He had pa- five passes defended, three passes defended, I mean. So I think, I think Bobby Wagner is still a good player. Do I think the salary that they were paying him in Seattle justified his plate? No, that's why they cut him. Now he's got an economical deal that fits more to what he do. Is he just outside the red chip? Yeah, probably so. Yeah, Bobby Wagner, he's destined for the Hall of Fame whenever he decides to hang it up there. But you can't be at that that elite level forever there, as we see in the National Football League. Let's take another quick break on the other side. Let's get to the cream of the crop here, the blue chip off-ball linebackers in the NFL. All right, Michael, let's get down to the blue chip off-ball linebackers in the NFL. And your list is as follows. Micah Parsons of the Dallas Cowboys, Fred Warner of the San Francisco 49ers, Levante David of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Demario Davis of the New Orleans Saints, and Devondre Campbell of the Green Bay Packers. And this is an interesting list to me because Parsons being on the off-ball linebacker list, I think is where a lot of this discussion might end up going. But before we get into that, do you think Parsons, after one year, entering his age 23 season now, second year, he is seen as an elite player here. Do you think he has a chance to possibly be one of the best defenders, if not the best defender in football? Well, I mean, look, he's versatile. So, you know, the one thing that makes Parsons so effective is the fact that you can't designate him as anything but the fourth rusher. And so, and because you have to designate him as a down lineman, no matter where he lines up, he becomes a problem for you. So because of his ability to play on two feet and his ability to move from A gap to C gap, you know, he becomes like, who's got him? Where are we going? It's the great Belichick line. Who's, I got him, you got him. Oh, fuck, nobody's got him, <laughs> right? And so, like, when you line him up in the A-gap, right, and they say, you know, Parsons, you know, you know, 11, he's, he's the Mike. He, he, we got him, right? And then he moves out to the slot, and now you got to block him coming off the edge. Who's, you know, we got to change the protection late. He's a weapon. He's a weapon to attack protections, and when he does get engaged to a big tackle, he can defeat him. He's got the power and the ability to defeat him. He's the modern-day player. 
you know, I mean, Lawrence Taylor could do all these things. I mean, Lawrence mm-hmm. Taylor was a true Sam linebacker. I mean, Lawrence Taylor could, could, could set the edge in the run game. He could drop back and pass coverage. Remember, Lawrence Taylor was covering punts as a gunner in his rookie year. I mean, that's how talented and fast he was. So am I, I'm not comparing. Nobody compares to Lawrence Taylor. Let's just put that out there. Like nobody, mm-hmm. nobody. But Parsons has similar traits to what he does and what he can offer. And the scheme-wise is completely attuned to what his talent level is. Yeah, and, and Dan Quinn and that defensive staff really got creative in how they used Micah Parsons. That really unlocked that Dallas defense. But I almost wonder... Is using him as an off-ball linebacker, is that the most optimal way to deploy Micah Parsons? Because ESPN, they've been doing their list of of position guys, one through ten or so, and they've talked to executives, coaches, players in the league, and there's an NFC executive that had this quote in the article. He said, quote, if Dallas does anything but let him rush, they are crazy. Do you think Parsons should transition more to an on-ball linebacker later on in his career, or do you think that how they're using him now is the best way to go about it? I think you got to mix it up. I think if you if you're Nolan Ryan and you throw fastballs, somebody hits you, right? But if you're Nolan Ryan and you got to change up a curveball and a slider and a fastball, you, you're going to be tough. I think the multiplicity of where he lines up creates really problems. If he lines up at right defensive end, and you know he's coming off the right side of the defensive end, the left tackle knows. Okay, I got a chip on the outside. I set inside out on Parsons. I got him. But if he lines up over the left tackle and he bails and goes into coverage, right, and they bring pressure off the right side mm-hmm. and you got two people blocking nobody, you've got a chance to get home. So to me, mm-hmm. it's, it's more of the scheme. It, it's, to me, he becomes easier to block when he's just down. You know, okay, we got him. We got to double him inside out. I got a chip on him. I'm motioning the tight end over. The tight end has him on the outside edge. I got him on the inside edge. We both got him, okay? Well, if he lines up at right end, as the ball lines up, now he moves over to the A-gap. Okay, you got to change the protection. You got to change the protection. You slide in it that way? Okay, if you want to slide to him. He reroutes the protection, and once he reroutes the protection, then something can come off the protection. And so he can get somebody else home free. So like basketball, you're going to double the best scorer. Somebody's open in the corner three. Yeah. No, yeah, and he really does. He causes confusion on the offensive line, and it's interesting because as a Cowboys fan, sitting there on that draft night, the whole expectation was they're going to take a corner. They're going to take Sertan or J.C. Horn. Those guys go to Carolina and Denver, respectively. Dallas is sitting there at 10. Like, oh my gosh, Like we thought we were going to get one of these cornerbacks. Our guys are, our guys are gone. They trade back to get Micah Parsons in the first round. They trade back to 14, ultimately getting uh, what is probably going to be the steal of the draft. Is he your top blue chip guy of the off-ball linebackers in the NFL? By his versatility, yes, because he can affect the passing game so much. You know, not in terms of coverage. Do I have a – I mean, look, he can go back and cover too. You know, and I don't want him to cover – like on on key rushing downs, he's got to rush. But I don't want him rushing at right end. I don't want I want him rushing at A gap. I want to be able to, you know, some of these guards, what makes him so effective is he goes and lines up over a guard, right? And he's coming downhill towards the guard, and the center's being occupied by somebody, and so is the tackle, right? Now that guard's got to handle this player on a two-way go. It's hard. It's hard. You know, you got to handle his quickness, you got to handle his change of direction. You know, and then what makes him so effective, he can play with power. See, yeah. I mean, why is he better than Jamal Adams? Well, Jamal Adams, once he gets engaged into a deep offensive lineman, it's over. Parsons, it's not. So even though Adams has versatility in terms of where he aligns in the front, that versatility, nobody's worried about him coming into the A-gap if they got mm. an li- offensive lineman on. They'll just snatch him. Yeah. Parsons, yeah. you're worried. Yeah, Parsons, he overwhelms people with his his side. This converting speed to power is really what he's so good yeah. at there. Uh, Jamal Adams, was he in the off-ball linebacker discussion for you? I mean, that's where he should be, but he's just not, to me, he's not, you know, he, he's not a line. I mean, he's one of those, I don't know what to put with him because yeah. he can't cover. And when he's the fifth rusher and the line accounts a running back on him, he's effective. When the line accounts a offensive lineman on him, he's not effective. See, and so that's what makes Parsons so effective. He's effective because no matter who you account for him, he can beat one-on-one. Yeah, I think I saw somebody on social media make the joke that Jamal Adams is like an edge safety. 
You know, he's, he's yeah. a pass rushing kind of safety there. He's a, he's a dynamic. I mean, he's, he's, he's a cover three in the box safety that doesn't yeah. exist anymore in the game. You know, like I, like I thought, I mean, Devont, De, DeMario Davis can cover. Yeah. He can attack the pocket. He's very versatile. You know, same thing with Campbell last year. Campbell had a bunch of tackles. He had two interceptions. He was around the football, had six quarterback hits. I mean, he was all over the place, right? So I, I was, you know, I was really impressed. He made the Packers defense faster. You know, so does Lamonte. David does everything for the for them. I know Devin White had a lot of tackles as mm-hmm. well too, and Devin White's a really good player. He had 18 quarterback hits last year. I think I, he should have been in the red category because I think he's really a good player. But to me, he wasn't so he, as an off the ball linebacker in coverage. You almost have to bring him all the time. Like I don't think he, I don't think he was as effective in that category. To me, Fred Warner is the guy that sets everything up for the for the 49ers. I mean, mm-hmm. without him, it's really impossible. Yeah, yeah, these guys, I mean, they're all terrific linebackers. Fred Warner, a third-round draft pick, he's never missed a game in his career. He started all 64 games in his first four seasons, including playoff games as well, entering his age 26 season. He's awesome in coverage. I think that's a really where that he excels there. Um, that was a guy I wanted the Cowboys to pick, but they picked Leighton Vanderish in the first round instead, and that's clearly gone really well for them. Uh, but David... You know, going back to David, oh, though, I think yeah. when he missed those four games this year, he wasn't quite the same play. You know, he it kind of hurt their defense a little bit. To me, you know, when he's humming and he's going, mm-hmm. you know, did he make a lot of plays in the passing game? No, he didn't have an interception last year, but I think he gives you a chance to set that defense, plus he's fast. He's 31 years old he probably has an arrow going down you know I just was disappointed in White's coverage skills yeah well let's talk about the age because David 11th year is, is uh, the season's gonna be his 11th year in the NFL same with Demario Davis it, these are older guys typically these blue chip guys it's guys who are ascending or are kind of have reached that peak they're in the prime of their careers one might argue that David and Davis are kind of on the back nine of their careers, given the position that they play here. Uh, what would you say to that? I would say that's true. You know, I would say the arrow's down. I mean, Davis is 32, but Davis is so good. I mean, he had 10 quarterback hits last year. He's around the football. He sets the defense really effectively. He had seven passes he defended last year, which I thought was really good. You know, and so he's able to make plays in, in, in the game, and he controls the defense really effectively. Yeah, Davis, kind of a late bloomer in his career. He had productive seasons with the Jets and Browns, but didn't really come on to the national stream of consciousness until he got to the New Orleans Saints and really took off as an All-Pro. Devondre Campbell, though, of the Green Bay Packers, was there a more surprising All-Pro than Campbell? Based on what he was signed for to come to Green Bay before the season, nobody really talking about that signing, and then he all of a sudden explodes as a first-team All-Pro. Yeah, I made a ton of tackles. And third, and to me, he was third in, 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 had 102 solo tackles alone. I mean, 102 solo tackles. Now, you say that's great. I mean, Jordan Brooks had 109 solo tackles last year. Jordan Brooks had 10 tackles for losses. You know, I mean, like Jordan Brooks, and he had five passes defended. So, I mean, Jordan Brooks is, is making a lot of plays. And he's not in a, he's not even a red category because I think he has a ways to a little bit to go. But Campbell, to me, took that giant step, and I thought he was really good. The other guy that makes a ton of tackles, he doesn't fit for every scheme. Is Perryman? You know, he's in mm-hmm. Carolina. He's really small. When he gets with the Raiders in that Gus Bradley scheme, he becomes more effective. Just to recap all of the blue chips guys, we have Michael Parsons of the Cowboys, Fred Warner of the 49ers, Levante David of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Demario Davis of the New Orleans Saints, and Devondre Campbell of the Green Bay Packers. Next week, Michael, we'll be doing the on-ball linebackers, a.k.a. the edge rushers, those guys who go after the quarterback, and that, to me, is where I think the game is won on the line of scrimmage, so I cannot wait to get into those blue chip and red chip pass rushers next week here on the podcast. But on the other side, we're going to take a quick break We'll discuss Nikhil Harry going from Boston now to the Windy City with the Chicago Bears. All right, Michael, before we wrap things up, we got to talk about the trade. New England Patriots sending their former first-round pick, the wide receiver Nikhil Harry, to the Chicago Bears for a seventh-round draft pick. What went wrong for with Harry in New England here uh, from your vantage point? You know, I was a Harry guy coming out, too. I thought he was big. I thought he was fast. I thought the ball in his hands was going to be really where he kind of became A.J. Brown. I thought he was going to be A.J. Brown, you know, Mm -hmm. tough, physical, 
you know, once the ball's, he becomes a better player. Not that he had elite speed, but I thought he would have enough speed. And then once he was able to do something, you know, once the ball landed, then all of a sudden his power and his and his size took over. And, you know, clearly that wasn't the case. And I think a lot of it is the fact that, A, you know, he I don't think he put as much into it as he needed to put into it. You know, I, I think he, you know, he was... You know, his first year he comes in there, he misses games. Second year he misses games. Last year he misses games. You know, and he couldn't stay healthy. You know, he couldn't really do the things he needed to do. Didn't, what shocked me more than anything, Femi, Mm -hmm. was the fact that he went down so easy. Like, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't the guy I saw at Arizona State. Like, and and so, look, it was a misevaluation. It clearly was the case. The guy, you know... When you only have 57 catches and you average 10 yards a catch in an offense that wants to throw the ball and they're looking for a receiver, you just got to say, look, we blew it. And and I blew it, too. I thought he was going to be really good. I thought he was a better version of what A.J. Brown ended up being. And A.J. Brown was better. And so was Debo Samuel. And so was D.K. Metcalf, who I thought was really just a two-route runner. You know, but look, you learn from it. And this is what makes receivers so hard to evaluate because the college tape doesn't necessarily always transition into the pro tape. Yeah, all those guys you mentioned were drafted after Nikhil Harry McCall Hardman, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin, who just cashed in on a big deal. Same with Hunter Renfro, but he plays a different position. They're playing the slot position. Uh, Would you say that it's fair to say that drafting and scouting wide receivers is a blind spot for Belichick? Because I know a lot of people point to Harry and some of these guys in the past, and I went back and looked at it to make sure I was like, okay, is this just a narrative or is there something to this? And Within the first three rounds in the history since back to 2002, within the first three rounds, the, dra- the wide receivers that New England has taken, it was Aaron Dobson in 2013, Taylor Price in 2010, Brandon Tate in 2009, Chad Jackson in 2006, Bethel Johnson 2003. The last one that was really productive was probably Deion Branch in 2002, ended up being a Super Bowl MVP there. Uh, would you say that it's fair to say that drafting wide receivers is a blind spot for B.B.? I think they've had tough time. There's no denying it. I mean, look, you got to be honest with yourself. The production, I mean, and and for, I think each player has certain things. I mean, I was there with Dobson. I like Dobson. I was in Cleveland at the time. And and at the end of the day, Dobson had enough talent. The the competitiveness, the toughness, I think that happened. I think the same thing with Keneal Harry. I think he just, what I thought was tough and physical, he didn't end up doing. So, yeah, I think you got to be honest and say, look, we make a lot of mistakes on these guys. And, you know, we got to do a better job at figuring out why are we making the mistakes. It's one thing, too, the offense was always a little bit more complex, harder to get guys involved, but you know, that's not an excuse. You've got to be able to figure it out, and I'm sure they have to go back to the drawing board on it. There's no doubt. They've wasted a lot of picks on the position. Like a lot of people, you got to be honest with yourself and try to study it. Yeah, it's a tricky position to nail down there. I mean, one of the best decisions they made was, I think, trading a first-round pick for Brandon Cooks because it's like, all right, this is a ready-made guy who know we know he's productive and he can come on in and, and play well for us because so I mean, far- and they've had a lot of guys and look, they've you know they've outsourced it. I mean, Nick Cesario was the receiver coach. He was Nick was really instrumental in like and 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 looking at these receivers all the way through. It isn't just mm-hmm. they had one guy, the receiver coach, or everybody kind of was, and you know, and I think it was a group effort. There's no doubt of of making mistakes. All right, last week we saw Baker Mayfield finally traded to the Carolina Panthers. We were talking about this on the podcast weeks before the news came out there. We said that this was inevitable. It's just the money, and once they get this sorted out, the deal will get done. That happened a week ago. Well, Baker Mayfield was introduced to the Carolina media earlier this week here, and it was asked about his time in Cleveland and how and what kind of guy he is and what kind of guy that the Carolina Panthers are bringing into the organization. Here's what Baker had to say. Uh, we all contributed to that that special run and to to help turn that around. There's guys that lifelong friendships that I'll have uh, that are that are very special to me, near and dear to Emily and I, that uh, we'll we'll never forget about. Uh, but it's I'm never a, a me guy. I'm a, I'm a team first win guy, and uh, we had we had a good time there. And you know I'm looking forward to being able to contribute with Carolina now. You know, it's interesting because Scott Fitterer, the general manager, said that this is going to be an open competition at training camp between Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Matt Corral, and all the guys they have there in that quarterback room. But let's focus mainly on Darnold and Mayfield. Can those guys bring the best out of each other here as we approach the 2022 regular season? 
I mean, I think this is sensational for Carolina because not only do you get competition in the most important room, the competition spills over into your rest of your team. Because Matt Rule can stand in front of the team now and say, fellas, everybody's going to be focused on competition at quarterback. We're going to be focused on competition for the team. You know, we've, we haven't won enough games here. We've got to get better at every position. And he's got to diffuse that because everybody's going to be evaluating, oh, Baker threw the ball good today. I mean, we're going to go through this all summer. You know, Sam's ahead of Baker. Reports are, you know, Baker's ahead of Sam. It's going to go back and forth. I think it's great for the team. And I think once Rule makes sure everybody understands that there's open competition everywhere, you earn what you get, and I think it will. And we'll see if Sam's competitive enough. And we'll see, we know Baker's going to try to compete. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, he's got an opportunity. Look, both guys are at the crossroads of their career. They're at the crossroads of their career. And the better man's going to win. What better situation could you ask for? Carolina right now at our show sponsor, DraftKings, the sportsbook, to make the playoffs here, Michael, because i got to throw a little betting question at you. To make the playoffs, the Panthers, the yes is plus 400, the no minus 500. So clearly the betting market doesn't think that this is a playoff team. Do you think the Panthers can sneak in to the postseason this year? Again, I'm not saying this because my son's there. I, I, I think the Panthers are have more talent than a five-win team. I really do. I mean, they've got some really good players. They fixed the offensive line. I think that was critical, right? They got Icky to play left tackle. They got, they got the kid that they drafted out of BYU in the third round. They move him into guard. That offensive line was a disaster. Now, they got to get something out of Robbie Anderson, right? You know, like mm-hmm. he hasn't played to the level that he's getting paid to. And they've got to get something out of the quarterback. And, oh, by the way, their best player, McCaffrey, has got to stay on the field for 17 games. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, but they've got talent. I mean, they have, look, they've got JC Horn, we talked about last week. They've got Chin, who we talked about. You know, Shaq Thompson is an off the ball linebacker. He could have easily been in the red category. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about it. He makes a lot of plays in the football, right? Yeah. I mean, Dante Jackson, they just signed him to an extension. I mean, this is CJ Henderson was the ninth pick overall in a draft. Derek Brown was the seventh. I mean, Brian Burns can rush the pass. Oh, I mean, yeah. This is not a team that's devoid of talent. This isn't the, you know, this is a this is a team similar to not the skill level, similar to the Bengals in the sense that they've got a lot of good players. They just got to play as a team. And when they were three and zero, they were playing as a team. Now they've got to kind of they've got to get regrouped and gain some confidence. Yeah, I, I think people were talking about them like as almost as if they were the Chicago Bears. And, yeah. and I look at I'm like, you can't compare the rosters. Chicago's no, roster like, is barely an NFL roster. This roster actually has some good players. I mean, to say that this is a five-win team with the talent that they have. Yeah, that's... You know, I mean, Foreman, we didn't even mention Foreman, who was one of the best players in the playoffs last year. You know, they've got a returner in Roberts, you know, and, and so they, they signed Johnny Hecker, who's one of the best kicker funners in football. Mm-hmm. I mean, last year, I, I just think to me, do I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl? No, but do I think they could... Be nine and eight or eight and nine. Yeah, I do. Yeah, especially in an NFC that's pretty wide open outside of the maybe top two, top three teams. You can make an argument for a lot of teams sneaking into the wild card spot, whether as a six or a seven seed. So interesting in Carolina. We're going to talk about them quite a bit leading up to the season because that quarterback competition will garner plenty of headlines. That does it for the podcast this week, though, Michael. Uh, Blue Chips, Red Chips series, like we mentioned on-ball linebackers next week. Looking forward to that. But thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. Thank you to you, Michael. Our producer, Stephen Bond, as always with us on the ones and twos. And we'll talk next week.